I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. don't need no fancy education we just need nostalgia that's right it's hit me one more time the nostalgia reflection podcast that looks at the things that we loved when we were younger and asks the question is this good i'm david luzader i don't do this show alone i have with me as always nick sharamooksness nick hello hey david how's it going i'm doing good man how are you i am hanging in there i, I just realized I, I asked how are you and then you asked how I'm doing, and then I asked you again. So, uh, oh, you did. This is off to a great start. Really? Yep. We're just gonna we're gonna steer into the skid, I think, and just keep barreling <laughs> forward because we have a great guest. That great guest is none other than the host of the History of the '90s podcast, Kathy Kenzora. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey guys. Now, Kathy, uh, I'm really excited to have you here. I I have been really enjoying History of the '90s. I've been digging in. Uh, for people who may not be familiar with what that show is, can you just uh, give us a quick overview? What is that? Sure. Yeah, we're taking a look at uh, some of the big stories from the 90s, uh, everything from pop culture and music and entertainment, but right through to um, true crime stories that happened in the 90s and then uh, political stories. I just am wrapping up recording one right now on the reunification of East and West Germany. So we get into some heavy stuff too, but also a lot of fun stuff. Um, you know, I have one coming up on vanilla ice. So, you know, it's the whole range of topics, but anything that happened in the 90s, basically. West yeah. Germany and vanilla ice. That's all I, I need to know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, no, I, was, I was listening. Yeah. I was listening to the, the you did a great uh, two parter recently on shows based on stand-ups uh, or sitcoms based on stand-ups from the 90s yeah. and I, as i was just kind of scrolling through i really you know that was like kind of right next to the la riots so that's if you're really right, exactly if you're, that's the tone right there you nailed it yeah. <laughs> so if you just want everything to do with the 90s that's the show for you this show we deal with things from all decades like this week's topic that kathy brought to us which is pink floyd the wall this 1982 musical film is a highly metaphorical take on the album of the same name. It follows Pink, a rock star driven insane by the death of his father as he constructs walls both emotional and literal to protect himself. That, I mean, that is kind of the best summation I could get because there is a lot to this movie. We're going to get into that, though. Before we do, this is the part of the show where we like to talk about our own personal histories with the topic. And Kathy, since you brought it to us today, why would you decide to bring The Wall? Well, it's funny, um, during COVID, at the very beginning of COVID, I started listening to that album again for some reason and on repeat, and I have no idea why. I think uh, I heard one of the songs and I was like, oh, I haven't listened to that album in such a long time. So it was really on my mind when you you know, brought me the idea of coming on the show. But my personal experience with it back in the 80s would have been, I didn't see it at the theater, the movie, um, I believe... I got the VHS and watched it at home with some friends in the basement, you know, a little bit of a get together with, you know, your friends watching a kind of a, almost like a psychedelic movie at the time. But, um, 
it just reminded me of being teenager and having an open mind and, you know, just watching something that kind of blew me away. Mm. Interesting. Nick, and I definitely want to hear more about that, but uh, Nick, first, what did you, you in the wall, what's up? You too cool? Um, uh, other than the walls I erected myself during my very turbulent upbringing, um, oh. I don't really have any relation to this particular film. I, Pink Floyd is one of those bands that like you just kind of learn through osmosis growing up if you don't get into them. And like, I was never against Pink Floyd and I'd heard some of their songs and, you know, like um, Comfortably Numb, like I liked their music, um, but it just wasn't music or, or a group at least that I'd ever really gravitate towards. So this was really a first experience for me and it certainly was a doozy. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Nick is taking the controversial pro Pink Floyd stance. So. <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit in, in that same boat. Um, actually, I have seen this movie before. I'll get to that in, in a minute. Uh, I saw, well, I, I being a teenager, there are certain bands that like, you know, you'll have friends that are into like cool music and you really want to be into the same cool music that they are. And Nick, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy on the forum that we used to, that, that like we met on, that we used to hang out on that, uh, he was kind of like the cool music guy. And <laughs> do, do you remember him at all? I can't remember his username. I would have to remember the the username to know uh, for sure, but no. Okay, great radio there. Uh, but he <laughs> he was always throwing out bands and throwing out albums. And, you know, Pink Floyd is one of those ones that would come up whenever he'd talk about music. And me wanting to be cool would go listen to that stuff. Uh, this is around the time when I was probably like 13, 14. You know, that really formative time. And, Pink and, and just, to be, just to be clear that while we're talking about being like super cool and indie, this was on an Invader Zim message board. It may have moved to the Just second to phase, clear. but we're not, we're not going to go into <laughs> we'll do a whole other episode on forums one day. Uh, but why did you have to bring up that part of it, man? Come on. Okay, continue, continue. Come on. You're, you're good. You can power through. Uh, so Pink Floyd never really resonate, resonated with me at that time and like I, I really wanted them to uh, but just for some reason, like not that I ever thought they were bad, uh, but my musical tastes ended up sort of shifting towards you know indie rock much more at that time um and then a few years ago i had a friend peter who showed me this movie and i i'd never seen it and not having a very deep history with pink floyd you know i'd seen images and uh retrospectives and stuff and like and clips and all that it was all fresh and new to me um and uh, a, a very strange experience that now is really interesting to revisit today, having seen it already and kind of getting to look at it from a whole different perspective. Because back then, you know, we watch stuff for podcasts, you get a little bit like analytical with everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but back then, I kind of had the advantage of just watching it for what it was, um, which I think for a movie like this, it's hard to come at it first with an analytical eye. So it's interesting to have that, that second pass with it. That is our histories with it. Nick, could you tell us a little bit about the world's history with The Wall? Pink Floyd, The Wall. When the world was an angsty teenager, uh, dot, dot, dot. 
With a rise in popularity in the late 1970s, Roger Waters of Pink Floyd began to feel an isolation from their audience. He said it became a social event rather than a more controlled and ordinary relationship between musicians and an audience. This led to the creation of the album The Wall, which was planned to be a film even before release. Originally, the film was to feature live tour footage with animation and extra scenes starring Waters himself, who also wrote the screenplay. However, Waters was recast after screen tests and replaced with frontman of the Boomtown Rats, great name, Bob Geldof. Once Waters was no longer in the lead role, the decision was made to remove the live concert footage. Waters and the film's directors, Alan's, Alan Parker and Gerald Scarf, clashed constantly during production with Parker describing it as one of the most miserable experiences of my creative life. The film opened in limited release on August 6, 1982, grossing $68,000 in its first weekend, despite playing in just one theater. That's incredibly limited release. By the end of its run in 1983, the film grossed $22 million and has gone on to become a cult classic. Yeah, the fact that it opened in one theater uh, originally, and then it, it made $68,000 in the first weekend, that, like, today would be insane. That is like people were, were like traveled to go see this movie. Yeah. We ran out of people in the local town. We got to ship out for some. I mean, I can't, I can't think. And this, we don't need to dwell on this for too long, but I can't think of like who could make a movie today that people would travel all over to go see and do that kind of business in just like, like the lines must've been crazy. If you told someone that the movie was only playing in one theater, um, I don't know whose it would be, but I don't think it would be impossible. But it does feel sort of something of a bygone era where just we've become so saturated with media like this that, you know, uh, if anything, okay, it'll come out on Netflix or whatever. I was just going to say, like, now I have a feeling people wouldn't line up for anything because they expect to be able to watch it at home now, right? So it's such a different era. You're right. It is, it, it is a sign of a bygone era for sure. When I want to have a transcendental experience, I do it in the comfort of my own home in my room. <laughs> I watch raised by wolves, watch raised by wolves that are taking a bunch of LSD. It's, it's great. Uh, I don't, I don't do that. Also don't do that. I don't think that show would be very enjoyable in that state of mind. Let's talk about the wall though. Let's start off with talking about uh, Bob Geldof who plays pink. Uh, the, the, the the sort of Roger Waters stand-in, though he largely contests that it's not. What did everybody think of him in this role? I personally loved Bob Geldof in this role. And I didn't realize now, looking back, obviously, when it was made, Bob Geldof, I guess he was, you know, of some celebrity, but he wasn't, he hadn't yet done Live Aid. So mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, Sir Bob Geldof. <laughs> when he made this movie and when I, I rewatched it, the movie recently and at the end it says introducing Bob Geldof, which shows you, you know, he was, I guess he was being introduced as an actor because he had been singing, but I was really into the Boomtown Rats before this movie came out and was excited to see him in this role. And I'm still a huge fan of Bob Geldof. So even rewatching it, I really, I really thought he did a good job. And when I hear any songs from Pink Floyd The Wall? I, in my mind, I've conflated Bob Geldof with Roger Waters, and I now think that Bob Geldof sings Wall. <laughs> so it's a really weird experience for me. That is weird. 
Uh, uh, I'll say my experience with Bob Geldof was that I had no idea this was Bob Geldof. I assumed it was Roger Waters and didn't look into it the entire time I was watching it. So uh, now I'm just surprised. Also, I've never heard of the Boontown Rats. And I should probably admit right now before we get too deep that I am a terrible music person. Uh-huh. Like I'm the guy that has the songs I like playlist on Spotify. And I just add songs that I hear as I hear them. It's Uh, Boomtown Rats. It's not like they were, I think they had at least one real, real big hit. And beyond that, I think, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like they were, everyone was listening to them. So we'll give you that. (laughs) I I feel a little better. Yeah. I I will back up Nick on that. I've driven in the car with him and he'll just play the radio and then be like, Oh, I like that song and, and adds it to his playlist while he's driving, which is terrifying <laughs> for me as the passenger. I hit the Shazam button. It's fine. You still have to take your eyes off the road. Anyway, Bob Geldof. Uh, Bob Geldof, I, th- I think that is a really good job. I also probably thought this was Roger Waters. Uh, there's a really funny story about him getting this role that uh, apparently he was in the back of a taxi and someone was trying to convince him to take the role and he just kept shutting it down just kept being like, nope, don't want to do that. Sounds terrible. Uh, and the cab driver was related to Roger Waters. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. So Roger Waters ended up hearing about all this and then was eventually able to uh, convince him to to be in it. Um, I think he just, he does a good job of, and maybe drawing on his own experience, playing a very mm-hmm. uh, disenfranchised rock star. Yeah. And, you know, it's of the era, you know, I think our rock stars today are into more clean living. (laughs) You know, they're doing yoga and drinking (laughs) herbal tea in between sets. That was the crazy, you know, end of the 70s going into the 80s when it was anything goes right. And that scene where he's smashing the hotel room or whatever, the room that he's smashing everything. Mm -hmm feels like that was like a, a regular thing back in the 70s and 80s with the rock bands and the heavy metal bands. Not the kind of thing you see anymore. Yeah. Now it's expensive and we love lawsuits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like there's uh, um, apparently Bob Geldof injured himself while filming that scene. And that is actually oh, like, really? yeah, in the movie, like the part where he cuts his hand. Uh, oh, was was actually like an, an accident from that. Uh, but, oh. you're, but you're absolutely right. Like sobriety now is uh, very common and and really touted as kind of like the the quote unquote it lifestyle. Right. Um, which, you know, good for everybody who who is able to get sober and get themselves away from, you know, whatever destructive forces uh, that are in their life. I think, too. There is a there's this whole current of Roger Waters writing uh, a a story about what he was experiencing at the time where he didn't feel connected to his fans anymore. I think Mm -hmm. it's it's totally a different era for that, too. Right. Like with social media, I'm not saying like people are are more connected to their fans, but there's like more direct contact to them. Yeah, for sure. For sure there is, because you know how did how did we even learn about what our our fan or the bands that we liked they were doing? Like I I recently heard like I when I was in high school I loved you can you can tell now that I'm a, a rocker chick because <laughs> I loved Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin was my favorite band all through high school, and Robert Plant has a podcast now. I don't know if you know. Really? And I was 
yeah, and it's really good. He's pretty cool, pretty cool dude. But he was talking about a terrible car accident he was in um, when at the height of when the band was popular. I've never heard that. I had no idea. And I was the biggest Led Zeppelin fan there was in high school. How did we find anything out about them? Like, there was no way of connecting with them. Uh, and so, like, I think they were on this pedestal that I can understand why they would feel disconnected from their fans because there was no way to connect with them. Hmm. You know, all that just makes me think of the movie Almost Famous. Yes. Uh, which is a, a movie that I think is is absolutely great, but is mm-hmm. sort of about this era um, actually it is, mm. it is it's in the 70s and you know yep. it's, a, it's about the kid going to go write a rolling stones and like like you're right like rolling stones articles were pretty much the only way that uh oh. you would learn about these rock bands and like i couldn't afford to go buy a magazine you know every week or every month so it would be there there just wouldn't i had no information other than you know, buying their albums or listening to maybe a radio station, maybe a DJ would say something about something, but I, like, there's just no way of getting any information, which is in a way it adds to the mystique of these, you know, the rock stars back then. Now we know too much. Like I don't actually want to know that much about my rock stars. <laughs> and now, like I, I also really liked Weezer from the night, you know, in the nineties. And then when I was following Rivers Cuomo on, Twitter and he was talking about literally drinking like green tea and playing soccer with his son. I'm like, that's not a rock star life. Like that's boring. I want a rock star life from my rock stars, but you just tweet back, do drugs. Yeah, exactly. I'm 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 kidding because obviously I want them to all survive. The thing is, you know, like we have someone like Kurt Cobain lived the ultimate rock star life, and that's not how we want it to end, right? Right, right. Um, I, uh, you mentioned a moment ago, like, uh, you know, a DJ might mention something and how, you know, how trustworthy were those guys really? Exactly. Exactly. What do they know? Yeah. It, all yeah. of, all of them seem to know all the front men for all the bands and like, you know, had yeah. crazy times with them. I'm sure it was all, it was all true. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Yeah. And uh, not, not to like go too far down this rabbit hole, but you're talking about the rivers Cuomo thing. Like, it's true. Just now it feels like we know maybe too much. Yeah. Like, obviously we don't want to like idol worship these stars, but there is something about them being the rock stars that we go and see in that, you know, for Roger Waters, he didn't like being a rock star. He, in this movie to try and bring it back a little bit, he, uh, you know, every time he was on stage or the character of pink was on stage, it would often go into this, very direct fascism metaphor. Yeah, yeah. And I read something uh, recently that I guess um, Roger Waters was inspired to write the album after he was annoyed at a concert, I think I read. Um, People were talking and there was fireworks and so he ended up spitting on the crowd, Roger Waters did, out of like disgust. And then I guess he must have had like a sort of like a you know, self-realization, like what's gotten, you know, what's happening to me like that I would do that. And it was sort of the, the seed to start writing the album and part of the idea behind it. The part two that, sorry to jump in on your topics, but the part that I found really um, sort of 
heart wrenching was the stuff dealing with him as a child and mm. losing his father in World War II. I found that part um, more interesting than the part about being the disassociated rock star. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about that a bit. Um, what did you in like what 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 that resonated with you? I don't know. I guess because I'm Canadian. You guys are in the U.S., right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, should have done my research, but I assumed you were. So you know, a lot of the stuff we see about World War II coverage or like World War II experiences are from like a North American perspective. Mm. And you know, I often forget that in England you know, the blitz happened and people were being bombed and it was just a different experience. It was close to them, whereas it was far away for us. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people were lost, but the war didn't come to us, whereas it came to them. And it, you know, it, it showed a little bit of that, but also just that, you know, he was a baby and his dad died before he really got to know him. And, you know, the, the impact that had on him growing up and how it just, I just found it really sad. And some of the songs I find on the album also very, you know, touching and the relationship with his mother and um, figure out if she was a good mom or a bad mom. It seems like maybe she was a little bit of a controlling mom. And I just found all that side of the story, very interesting and really like personal from, you know, I'm assuming it's a real, like it's Roger Waters, real feelings and his, you know, his real life experiences touching on them. And I just found it really touching. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I I especially found the mother stuff to be very interesting and very compelling Um, because like you said, it's, you know, it's a little bit unclear. Was she a good mom? Was she a bad mom? But as we kind of see him as an adult, he's at times yearning for his mother, you know, whatever complicated things happen between them. For, for him, there was like still, maybe there's a little bit of that comfort of, of just childhood. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, that, that was the stuff. Yeah. Like the, the times where he's, when he's lying in bed and like, yeah. well, woe is me. is like, uh, okay, that's fine. But when he would, when it would really kind of dig into like what got him to that point, what, what is going on in his head when he is lying in bed like that, I found to be fascinating. Yeah. And then the whole like experience at school with, you know, the, the really strict teachers and which, um, you know, is another brick in the wall (laughs) because, um, that he builds up over his life. And, um, it's, it's funny because that's, you know, the one song that probably everybody knows from that album. And it's the one song that it's probably not the best song, like, you know, teacher leave those kids alone is probably not the best song on the album but it's the one everyone knows so it's just funny that it becomes sort of the symbol of of what the wall is about but it's about so much more i think yeah yeah the school part is one of the more heavy-handed um yeah we see the kids go into a literal meat grinder and it's like oh, okay I get yeah it. <laughs> And I have a problem. I've never liked songs where there's like a choir of kids, like rock songs that have a choir of kids singing in them. It really bugs me for some reason. I just, I don't want to hear a choir of kids in a rock song. And it happens from time to time. And that's one of them where it's just like, stop. (laughs) Just stop with that. Nick, your thoughts on choirs of kids in rock songs? (laughs) 
Uh, lo- love them. Just love, love <laughs> yeah, all yeah, the fire. Yeah. Um, I guess I never really had a strong opinion on it, but I can see I can, in this sort of view with rock stars sort of being these um, almost aloof and dramatic and intense individuals. And then, yeah, I guess having a bunch of kids singing is kind of like, I guess, taking your kid to the park and doing some yoga, even though in the context of the, those scenes in the the, the movie, like it obviously was a really intense experience and just yeah. showing the anguish, you know, that as a young person, he and I'm sure other people were feeling in such um, strict environments. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, uh, to, all I have to say is I'm probably okay with kids in choirs, maybe. <laughs> look, I mean, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I got nothing <laughs> against, look, kids have, have interest in music, absolutely. Let's not. I'm. I'm. I'm with you here, Kathy. Let's not pretend that kids are particularly good singers. And you uh, know, right now I can't think of any other rock songs with kids singing in choirs. But there's a lot. It comes. It happens a lot. So now, when you're listening to the radio, now, um, I want you to pay attention to see if you can recognize any other songs where kids are singing in them, because you you will agree with me. It's it just it it's like it throws you off. It's just like ah. All of a sudden, there's kids singing. I don't like it. I didn't realize I put Kid Bop into my <laughs> stereo. Yeah, that's what Nick actually <laughs> listens to. Really? Nice. Uh, I, just, I like the renditions. It it reminds me of, I remember when the, the trailer for The Social Network came out. And mm. in the trailer for that, they have, um, oh gosh, what a creep. Creep is playing, but it's uh, you know, it's like a piano version. You have like a kid's choir. And I remember people being like, oh, the kid's choir version is so good. I'm like... These kids are off key half the time. Come on. (laughs) What are we doing here? Oh, my goodness. I want to talk about the animated sequences. I'm so glad you did. (laughs) Because so do I. (laughs) Because they are, they're intense and interesting and and very heavy metal uh, for people who have seen that movie. Oh, my God. Gosh, I forgot about that movie. You are right. That was another animated crazy movie. You, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Yep. Oh, you're welcome, Nick. What did uh, What are your thoughts on some of the animated sequences? The so I think those are the parts of the film that I gravitated to the most, uh, just because at least initially I wasn't expecting them. Because uh, I really, like, I didn't watch the trailer. I really didn't go in with any preconception on this. I just sat down and started watching it. And I guess I'll elaborate on that a little bit because I feel like, like even if I wanted to do drugs, I didn't <laughs> have to because watching this movie was kind of like I imagine doing a drug, doing, doing a drug, doing okay, a, doing a drug, one of them, right? Um, <laughs> but. But the 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 thing with the the animated oh sorry no what I was trying to say is like when I was watching it was like I had just finished my work shift and I'm kind of like sitting down on my bed I got my laptop my partner we were watching it together long distance uh, and but I was still like in this mental state where I was kind of like you know uh, a working class dude or whatever and then I'm watching this like intimate intense dramatic psychedelic experience and I'm like huh kids are into some crazy stuff today um, <laughs> but but yeah the, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of 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 um art and design and illustration and i i, I didn't really look into sort of like the technique techniques that were used to sort of create these the, the animated sequences but like there's something about it that you just don't see today stylistically mm-hmm. and like even when like every part of it felt 
intense mm. you know just the, the way that the the line work and the, the colors the all the aesthetic and all of that like it just i felt very unsettled i mean to be fair the subject matter was also super unsettled like when you're watching two flowers have sex <laughs> or like vaginas or whatever but like um but it was just yeah it was very a, a visceral experience that I, that definitely drew me in more so than other parts interesting kathy you got any thoughts on them um I like hearing that, Nick, because I wasn't a huge fan of the animated segments, but I'm glad that to hear that it speaks to people because I think that's just me not really being into that kind of thing. But you're right that there is something about it that looks the technique or how, you know, how it was made that looks really uh, unique and um it just looks very different than anything I've ever seen. I just couldn't get into it. Like I just really found it to be just a little bit too out there. Most yeah, of the and anime I, segments. And I, I, it's like, and also like when I was watching it, like I, the, the, there is just so much going on in the movie. Like, I guess when I sat down to watch it, I wasn't necessarily expecting like a typical linear affair, but mm. Like it just, it really is just throwing stuff at you constantly that sometimes I had a hard time following it thematically. Yeah. Um, now that I had like, I watched it yesterday and like I've had some time to digest it and now I can like really see like the points it was trying to hit home at. Um, but yeah, the, but just like the, the animation, I'm trying to think of how this, but like, I think the first, I think the very first one that happens is like a dove is flying and then it just explodes (laughs) and and then just go just goes down from there um and it just but just the animation of it i don't know i'm trying to say like it just visceral is the word that i keep coming back to and i've already used it but it just it it was just i don't know it was incredibly heavy man (laughs) and you're right it it does feel like there's a lot coming at you because the music as, as well at the same time is often like just kind of like dun, 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 you know, that feeling of like, you can feel your heart rate going up and then the animation at the same time. So you're right. It is a pretty heavy experience. And I think, and I, and, and I mean, definitely, I, I can only imagine that it was intentional. Like, and I feel like a lot of it, because as we're saying, it was so heavy. Like I think of, I think the dev, dove turned into it, but you had like that dark dragon bird, whatever, like mm. specter, you know, it, it, I think maybe tying into like the, the fascist concert parts, like the, the whole idea was there's this person where like the, their life, their history, their experiences are all like just sort of suffocating them and overbearing and just hanging over them constantly. And I really mm-hmm. felt like the animation captured that by getting under your skin and making you feel uncomfortable, but also feeling like you can't escape from it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think in a weird way, the animation was like the most direct part of the messaging, Uh, maybe because it was like very direct in what it was trying to do. And even though like, obviously, ah, this is a bit metaphorical, it's very clear. Like, I actually really enjoyed the trial at the very end. Mm. Um, I, you know, it's, it's kind of, it was kind of an odd choice, I think, to kind of wrap things up with this animated sequence. And it's, you know, very unclear, are these dreams that pink is having are they just like thoughts in his head seems to kind of be the implication um but i i did enjoy the trial at the end kind of for how direct it was in Mm -hmm. in what it was doing that's a good point like do you 
think that it was, you know, what he was thinking in his head or was he on like a, a, a drug trip and what he was seeing or like, you know, how are we to interpret that or are we overthinking it? Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's just meant for our entertainment. Maybe overthinking it a little bit, you know, <laughs> that's a real possibility. Yep. Yep. Which, uh, you know, happens. And I, and I certainly don't want us to go down the rabbit hole of overanalyzing. Well, that's kind of hard to say because so much of this movie is metaphorical that it kind of yeah. uh, demands analysis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole movie is analysis, right? Like, it's not, it's not telling a linear story. It's not, some of it might be heavy handed, but we're sort of, the, the way I liken to it um, is that you're really just getting a window into someone's mind. Like, you know, day yeah. day to day, like we might walk around and, and do our normal tasks and things might feel linear, but I can only, I mean, I just think of the crazy thoughts that I have bouncing around constantly. Like there's no linearity in our minds, right? Like we're thinking of our past, we're thinking of our future, yeah. we're thinking of our present, we're thinking about what we're gonna eat, when was the last time I used the bathroom, something about Nietzsche, I don't know. Like, <laughs> and, and just yeah. With all, yeah, you know, exactly, just exactly like that. And just yeah, all, all that chaos represented in this film in a, like a non sequitur way was it, it was powerful, even if it like made no sense as you're watching it. Yeah, and it also spoke to uh, the idea of all the things that make up the person that you see today is all of the experiences that they've had through their life. And it's almost like, you know, that experience of having someone's life flash before your eyes and not your own life, but we, it's like we had his life flash before our eyes and in little spurts of what mm -hmm. may be the memories that come back to him. Right. Yeah. And there's like, a, there's times where you have to think too, like a little bit of uh, unreliable narrator in, in Possibly, how he's remembering yeah. things. Yeah. What, what I find fascinating, this was like, I think the, the big thought I, I, the takeaway I took as I was like watching the credits, but is that, and also, I think this now is uh, exacerbated by the the knowledge that uh, Roger Waters wasn't even actually playing. I didn't realize it was Geldof, but um, is that like as I said before, like this is this, this super dramatic, intense, intimate window into someone's mind, mm -hmm. and yet it took hundreds of people to make this vision a reality, right? Like it, it always takes a village, and on movie productions, it's it's you know there's always a ton of people. Uh, and yet like compared to, you know, this isn't, you know, your next Marvel movie, right? Like this is, right. this is esoteric. It's, it's, it's designed to just be weird and uncomfortable. Uh, and I mean, I'm just thinking of like the actors that were in there and I'm trying to think like, like the people that had to wear those freaky masks <laughs> yes. in a lot of the scenes, like yeah. it's just, I don't know. It, it's, it's the, the, I think in a way he maybe achieved that thing where he created a more intimate experience between the let's just say the creator and the consumer, right? Hmm. In this case, I mean, the, the, it was a music movie, but it, it wasn't like it was at a concert, but by getting these people involved to help make this vision a reality, and then for us, and then basically, then it gets dropped in our laps and we watch it, it's it, it it's it's incredibly intimate. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. I, I will say this movie had a budget of $12 million, uh, hmm. which is not a ton of money, but especially in like 1982 was probably a, a maybe, you know, kind of mid budget e movie. Um, it's, it's a decent, I mean, animation is expensive. So I imagine a lot of that yeah. probably got thrown that direction. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I want to mention this part because every time I've watched it, it gets to me every time. And that is when pink 
shaves his <laughs> shaves all the hair off, um, which apparently uh, was based off a time that uh, one of the members of Pink Floyd showed up and had shaved all of the hair off his head, but Geldof refused to actually shave his hair. Uh, the part when he breaks the razor freaked me out. So I, have, I have a thing about eyes. Freaked me yeah. out so bad the first time I saw it. I was like, no, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And then he shaves his eyebrows, which is like still freaky. But then, like when they show it later, it still gets to me. I don't know why. I don't know why that scene is what gets under my skin kind of the most. <laughs> well, it is a little disturbing because I don't know why he has to be so aggressive. Like, can he not just shave his eyebrows off like gently? It's very, it's, it's hard to watch. You're right. But the, um, you mentioned that a member of Pink Floyd, was it Sid Barrett? The, the, one of the original singers? Yes. Yes. And cause I did read that, um, that Pink is based on Roger Waters and Sid Barrett. So that must be something that Sid Barrett had done when, uh, at some point, I guess. Hmm. Right. It, it appears so. It's just, yeah, the way he handles that razor, just, oof, oof. Don't yeah, like it. it's, you're right, you're, you're totally right. It is really uncomfortable to watch, and I think completely unnecessary for us as viewers to have to watch that. He <laughs> <laughs> could have just shaved them off, like, come on. Yeah, well, and it also, and also because they, then they do that thing where you just see the blood droplets dripping into, yeah. the, like, the, the foam. So you don't know what he's doing to his face. Yeah, yeah. It just freaks me out, man. Uh, <laughs> Nick got to say man a lot. All right. I want to say man for once. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to come on, I, man. I want to talk about Roger Waters reaction to the film itself. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a, he was a fan of Geldof's performance, but he said of the film, I found it so unremitting in its onslaught upon the senses that it didn't give me anyway, as an audience, a chance to get involved with it, mm. which I just find so interesting as the, as the person who wrote it. And I mean, I know there's a lot of tension yeah. on set, but still was like involved in the making of it to look at the final product and be unhappy with it. Well, from what I've read about Roger Waters, he sounds like someone with a pretty big ego mm. and who um, doesn't seem to be easily satisfied. So maybe that's just fitting with his character because, um, few stories that I, you know, I read about him recently. And the, apparently this, the album, the wall is what broke up the band because there was so much tension among band members over, you know, what songs were going to be on the album. And I guess he just took control over everything. So I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not sure about the making of the movie though. Did he at some point lose control over some of the making of the movie and maybe wanted to distance himself from it? It's hard to know. Yeah, I don't I don't think that necessarily ever happened. But uh, I mean, he called the making of it, uh, the filming, a very unnerving and unpleasant experience. I think it was just mm. outside of his world. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, you know, he, he probably he may have like deferred to other people or just didn't really know, you know, because he he'd never written a movie before. And I, as far as I right. know, has not written a movie since. Like it's, you know, it's from writing music and performing music. It's a totally different world. Yeah. 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 That makes sense there. Um, but he has performed the wall like a lot since, you know, since the eighties and, you know, through the nineties. And then even in the two thousands, he, he keeps performing it as a, 
you know, as a stage show. So it's not like he's given up on it entirely. So I guess yeah. it was just something in the translation through the movie that he didn't like. Yeah. And I, I think there was, um, there was someone I'm, I'm trying to look it up real quick who said that they felt like of the, you know, of the, of the interpretations of it, um, of like the stage show, uh, here it is. So, uh, who, who is this Gilmore? Who I can't find Gilmore's first Eve name. Gilmore. Who? Eve Gilmore. I believe so of, uh, behind the wall in, in the documentary behind the wall. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, they said the movie was the less successful telling of, of the wall as opposed to the album and concert versions. Say that again. Uh, Sorry. Gilmore has said that the, the movie was the less successful telling oh. of the wall opposed to yeah. the album and the concert versions. So I think right. you're, gotcha. I think you're right. I think there's something that has resonated with waters. Um, you know, in, in writing the album, making the album, performing the album, but making yeah. it into a movie didn't Just didn't work. translate. Yeah. Yeah. I guess originally they wanted to have concert footage in mm -hmm. the movie, but when Bob Geldof was cast as pink instead of Roger Waters, they couldn't do that because it would be some, it wouldn't be pink right on stage. So um, like, Bob Geldof. So maybe that's what's missing for him is that there was no, uh, you know, actual concert footage. Yeah. His, his ego was so big. He's like, I'm not in the movie. It's no good. Yeah, maybe that's it. It could be as simple as that. It's true. Roger Waters. If you're out there listening, <laughs> I couldn't even get through that. Yeah. There's a new documentary, which I haven't seen behind the wall, which sounds interesting. Um, have either of you guys seen it? No. No, I think it, I don't know if it's on Netflix, but I'm I, I will definitely check it out because it'll be interesting to see because um, I was just writing this episode for East and West Germany reunification. And a big part of it was just before the reunification. But like after the wall came down before reunification happened, there was this huge concert, um, you know, in no man's land by by uh, the Potsdamer Platz, And it was um Roger Waters telling of the wall with a whole bunch of other musicians that came and sang. And they had this big, huge wall erected. And at the end of the concert, the wall comes crashing down and, you know, and uh, so it's, it's it has survived and it has so many other sort of iconic um, cultural references, you know, in, in so many different ways, but I'd love to see the documentary to see how he, you know, what his thoughts are on it. Yeah. Uh, if there's any album that was more appropriate for that whole event, right? It's The Wall. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was perfect. He must have been just like, oh my gosh, get me to Germany. I have to perform. Because <laughs> it was perfect. It was so perfect. I don't remember. I didn't watch that concert live. I I don't remember seeing it, but um, it was broadcast. It was like before. Oh, that was that was after live aid. So it was of that era when we were having these big concerts, like, you know, 500 million people were watching worldwide. And, uh, I, I don't remember seeing that one though, but it was, is, you know, so many people saw it. Yeah. Dang bygone era. I mean, I guess a lot of that would be streamed now. Uh, but I, I don't, I, cause I was listening to it earlier today. I was thinking about you talking about, um, Kathy, you were talking about Roseanne in, in a recent yes. episode of history of the nineties. Oh. And, you know, when it premiered originally back in the day, it was like 24 million viewers, which was, 
you know, pretty good for a brand new show. And then you, you talked about when the recent thing aired, uh, the revival a few years ago, yeah. it's, it's like, Oh, it's 18 million viewers, which was the highest ratings in, in a very long time. And it's like, that's yeah, not- yeah, you just, there's, there's so much out there now for people to watch that, you know, it's not like everybody comes to work on Monday saying, Oh, I watched this show, you know, watched an, or it comes to work and on uh, Friday morning to say that they watched Thursday night Seinfeld. And did you see it? And everybody saw it. Right. And you all sit around talking about it because everyone's watching something different now. Yeah. Right. That's so much. Yeah. The water cooler show is kind of dead. Yep. At- well, too many spoilers. Now you'll be spoiling it for somebody because who hasn't <laughs> had a chance to watch it yet. I'm sorry, I'm watching the 1500 other things. Exactly. It's on my schedule five years from tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Dang, isn't that isn't that the truth though? I think we might run out soon though, like because you know, unless production starts on uh, some new shows. I'm kidding. I'm sure we'll never run out. But it's, yeah, could be Slim Pickens by January. It's all going to be animated now, which means that that heavy metal sequel might actually get made. Oh my goodness, what a relief! Or a sequel to The Mask. Uh, Nick, there's been like two <laughs> no, sequels. No, to no, the no, Mask. no, never. But like, but just because of masks, it's anyway super relevant oh, commentary yeah, on today's yeah, world. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but with Jim Carrey wearing a mask. I was thinking that with the wall, though, too, those masks that the kids were wearing in school. It's kind of like what it looks like now at school, probably, for the kids, but Ugh. not quite as creepy. They have, at least they have eyeballs. They, those masks didn't really have eyeballs. So. Ugh, they're so creepy. There's like be a good Halloween costume, though. Yeah, there's still a few that exist that are in, like, some museums and or at, at really? exhibitions and stuff. Yeah, and, like, oh, they're just... I mean, they're creepy in the movie, but for some reason, like, I'm looking at a picture of one right now, and it's just, like, on a black background, and it's just that wide-eyed open mouth face and it's terrifying yeah as it is creepy yeah as we're uh, as we're kind of getting ready to to wrap up here does anybody have anything else they wanted to discuss any other thoughts that we didn't touch on i just want to say i really like the album i still do like the album the the movie might not stand up but i still think there's some great songs on the album and uh, like i said i started re-listening to it again Back in March, and I was glad that I did because there was a lot of songs on there that I had forgotten about. And it's something, it speaks to that era when we had full albums that told a story from start to finish that I miss that because so often, you know, as I'm listening to new music, I don't buy the album. Obviously, I just download the songs that I like on Spotify and listen to those ones. So I've lost that whole experience of listening to an album. So it was good to go back and do that. Yeah. I have a love for conceptual albums and uh, we'll still check out if I hear that someone made one, you know, today I'm, I'm going to go check it out just cause I'm like, I'm curious yeah. what they did. Yeah. Agreed. Nick, do you have any, any thoughts, anything we didn't touch on? Um, no, I mean, I mean, this is, this is the kind of movie that it's really hard to just sort of stop talking about it. Cause there's just all these little details that could get brought, you know, that you could bring up, bring up and, 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 and pick apart. But um i yeah i think just like my final word on it is is it was a very visceral experience that um i i would be very curious to see something like this come out today and try at least and gain the same kind of uh, traction you know i mean there's there's still so much that we have we barely even kind of mentioned the fascism stuff 
there's so much about Pink's relationship to women that I found so interesting that uh, I I don't think we have enough time left to really break that down. Um, I mean, there's just a a ton of of metaphors and and imagery and, and listening audience you know, I know there's some of you out there that have have watched this and have love for it. There's one person in particular, you know who you are, uh, that I'm sure you're going to be mad that we missed something. So seriously, please let us know. We want to hear your thoughts. And we'll tell you where you can send those thoughts in a minute. But this is the time where we just kind of wrap up and we ask the question, does this stay in the Hall of Memory or is it worth visiting today? And Kathy... Since you're our guest, you brought this to us. What are your thoughts? I think it's worth visiting today. I really do. It's so unique that even if you don't like it, it's worth just seeing it to see, just to see it, to see what, you know, see something totally different. If you're really into seeing something that is like nothing else, then I would recommend you check it out. Hmm. Nick, what do you think? I'm, I'm on the fence. Because in a sense, it it I'm glad that I watched it. So I guess that's like in you know affirmative. Like yeah, check it out. Um, but it is I think, excuse me, it's it's a harder pill to swallow today. Maybe you know in a sense, I guess the way I'm framing it is it's maybe something that people should see in terms of consuming popular media because, um, as you said, it's so different from what's today. Um, but I almost feel like today's audience, I don't want to be like the, the younger audience can't handle it because I'm sure they could, but just, but it feels like just something that's so, you know, I, I even maybe struggled a little bit to relate to it. Even if I found a lot of empathy and some of the themes and stuff that they were trying to go for. Um, so I, I really think you have to be a particular type of person to maybe really value it for what it is. But I, I feel it's a little difficult for me to just recommend it to anyone that walks by on the street, you know? Yeah, I, I get that. Um, this, this movie is one that uh, Phil Rude, uh, who is becoming quickly becoming the fifth Beatle of this podcast, uh, <laughs> Phil Root is a, a former co-host of mine, still very good friend, will be future co-host again, has been on this show several times already in our short run. Uh, but we used to do a show together called Brokebot Mountain, and we started doing a series on there that we called Dorm Room Poster Movies, which I think this kind of fits in, which is not a commentary on the quality of the movie itself. It is kind of, Kathy, as you described, when you're a teen you see this movie and you're like, wait, movies can be like this. Right. Right. This is a thing that we can do. And so when you go off to college, you put up in your dorm room, a poster of memento or the wall. And it's sort of that signifier of like, yeah, I know movies, Um, which again, sounds like I'm, I'm somewhat belittling it. I'm really not. I think this is a movie that like Nick, I would have a hard time telling most people. Yeah, go watch it. Uh, I think if you're a fan of Pink Floyd, I mean, you probably already know about it. Um, but it, it is one of those things that I, I struggled with this in some other episodes, too, where, Kathy, you're right. There's so few things like it today that to dismiss it entirely feels wrong. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think it's for everyone. So I'm I'm. I'm not sure quite where to place it, <laughs> which kind of becomes the struggle with some of these things that we discuss in the podcast. 
if you're a fan of Pink Floyd, if you have seen experimental animation stuff, if you've watched uh, Cake on FXX, or if you've somehow seen heavy metal and you enjoyed heavy metal, I think this is something that would probably be in your wheelhouse. I think it is, uh, the sum of it is greater than its parts. There are parts of it that I think are just fine or okay, or, you know, when he's lounging around in bed being very mopey, I think are kind of bleh. But all of it put together is something interesting and different and not for everyone, but that's okay. So should you watch The Wall? You already know in your heart of hearts if you should. <laughs> is, is what my answer is right there. That is our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours, of course. Let us know. You can find out where to contact us. Hitmeonemoretime.com will have all the places you can reach us. Now, before we get out the door, we want to know where you can find all of us. Kathy, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it was my pleasure. I love talking about uh, fun stuff. Now, uh, what's the deal with the history of the 90s? Where can people find it? Where, where can people find you? Uh, history of the 90s is on Apple, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the streaming services, everywhere you can find it, anywhere you stream your audio. But you can also reach me through um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at history of the nineties. And I would love to uh, meet some of your listeners because they obviously like to talk about nostalgia and we're all about nostalgia on history of the nineties. Yeah. Seriously. Like if you, if you enjoy this show, but want a much more analytical view and much less us getting all weirdly philosophical history of the nineties is a really great show. Um, cannot recommend it enough to people. Nick, thanks for being here as always. Where am I? I think I did that joke. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> um, you can find me. Where can people find you? Where can people find? You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Nick Shermuksnis. S E R M U K S N I S. I was about to say dot com, but I realized I stopped right there. So at Twitter, on Twitter at Nick. Okay, whatever. You know where to go find to Google dot com. Type in. <laughs> www dot in my pace bin exactly and uh nick that's all just your twitter nowhere else uh i legally i'm not allowed to bring up the other one <laughs> fair enough if people want to find me you can of course find me on twitter or instagram at devluz that is d-a-v-l-u-z see what i am up to there listeners thank you so much for checking it out for checking this episode out and for being here each week. We do the show for you and because of you. And remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. Hey!